beautiful worship of God tonight, and that's great. Um, appreciate that. Thank you, Claire. Um, for those of you who don't know Claire, um, as she said, she's one of the elders of this church, and she's just a gem of a lady who's just uh, loved the Lord so faithfully for many years. And so if you don't know Claire, um, she's here often enough on a Sunday, and so take the time to get to know to get to know her. She's great. Um, <clears throat> Happy Father's Day. There's not too many fathers in the house tonight. Who here is, uh, is a father? One, two, three, four, five, six, um, seven. So we've got a few. So Happy Father's Day to fathers. Um, uh, just to want to acknowledge that Father's Day means different things for different people. And for some, it's a tough day. Uh, for some, it's a day of sadness, maybe because you have a difficult relationship with your father or because your father has uh, uh, passed away. I know for my wife, Mel, uh, her, her dad passed away probably about four years ago now. And so today's a mixed, a mixed day, um, as we, uh, much as we kind of celebrate um, me being a dad. Um, it's a sad day for her in that sense. So, uh, but hopefully if... Um, you have made contact if you're able to with your with your dad today and uh, said happy birthday happy birthday <laughs> said happy father's day um i'm going to say that for me uh uh tonight the uh, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak so I, i've been a little bit uh sick over the weekend and i'm feeling quite average i preached this morning and then I should have sat on the couch, but I'm a mad keen golfer. And so I took my whole family out. The five of us went and played par three golf at North Adelaide. And um, that is an exercise in patience to play golf with a nine-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a 13-year-old. Like my 11-year-old's done a few golf lessons. So like to start with, he was doing better than my 13-year-old. My 13-year-old was like really angry. How come he's better than me? I'm older. I should be better. Then my 13-year-old hit a few good golf shots. And the other one's like, how come he's better than me? I've done golf lessons. And, uh, and then my, my daughter, she was like, hit a lot of golf shots. But I was saying to her, oh, you're a natural. You've got a natural golf swing. And then like I reckon 50 times she said to me, Dad, am I really a natural? Am I really a natural? Oh, yes, you are. Just a natural, naturally good at hitting lots of golf shots. Um, didn't say that to her. Um, so anyway, that was beautiful. But uh, And then we had to leave. I was 15 holes in and I had to leave. Uh, I was one under the card. So there you go. If you know anything about golf, I was hitting the ball okay. Um, and, uh, and I had to come... So, you know, suffering for the sake of the gospel. Um, it's right there. Anyway, <coughs> just joking. Um, so, tonight um, I get to preach to you from uh, Romans chapter 8. And we're going to spend three weeks looking at this chapter. Romans 8 is considered to be the greatest chapter in the greatest letter, uh, in the greatest book ever written. And uh, I think... Tonight's passage contains the greatest verse in the greatest chapter, in the greatest uh, letter, in the greatest book ever written. So uh, I'd love you to have Romans chapter 8 open. I think we're going to have it on the screen, but I, I always think it's preferential to have it before you so that you can flick back and forth and um, keep track of the whole thing in the context of the, the little part of it that I'm focusing on. So... Um, how about I read that and then we'll, we'll get into the me- um, then I'll pray and we'll get into the message. Therefore, there is now no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live according, in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, this is talking to all Christians, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the, in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is, in, is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation but it's not to the flesh to, to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. What a day to actually read that verse. Father's Day. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That means we are going to inherit everything because that's what an heir does. An heir inherits what comes from the Father. We're going to inherit every blessing from God. We are heirs Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we might also share in his glory. Let me just pray. Heavenly Father, I pray, uh, to, to, frankly, that you'll sustain me through the next uh, 30 minutes as I share this scripture. And I pray that you would give uh, every person here uh, a heart to hear what you want to say, not uh, that you would... Uh, um, remove any um, distraction that's going to just take uh, people's minds away. And we know that um, the evil one, Satan, does not want us to hear the Word of God proclaimed and to reach the, the ears and the, the hearts of every person here. So we want to pray against that and we want to pray and declare this is the, the house of the Lord in Jesus' name and that this message is a message that uh, I pray will reach people's hearts and, uh, and be heard deeply. Uh, pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So Romans chapter 
8 verse 1 is such an incredible verse that I just want you all to hear it. Again, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I wonder if we could all share that together. Let's do that, okay? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I feel that I could say that uh, 20 or 30 times over and over, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I could say that 20 or 30 times and then say amen and then leave and we could all go home and you could just dwell on those words and that would be enough. Because you need to uh, take these words deeply into your heart and into your soul because if you grasp them and allow them to shape how you live and how you think, they will change everything. And if you don't truly grasp them, then you will maybe for so long in your life wrestle with this question that maybe I'm condemned or maybe I'm not, despite the fact that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, this this uh, chapter, Romans 8, is a summary of all that's happened in Romans 1 to 7. It's kind of the conclusion. And it's interesting that the last time I preached this, because I preached this in the morning, it was on a, a long weekend, and tonight is Father's Day, and like the long weekend, normally you get this drop in numbers, and Father's Day, you normally get this drop in numbers, I'm like, oh, it's not good, because uh, it's such a good passage, so I'm glad that you are here to hear it. Um, there are no wor sweet words of that, no condemnation. So many Christians struggle to accept this simple but truly life-changing truth, that there is no condemnation. Not one bit, not one tiny remnant, not one molecule, not subject to circumstances, not subject to what happens to you tomorrow or next week or the week after. But actually, if you are in Christ, there is now no condemnation uh, for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's it. I have talked with so many Christians who have heard so many sermons about the grace of God, but then are confronted with a situation that leads them to believe that actually, perhaps, the grace of God doesn't cover their sin, and perhaps they do stand under God's condemnation, despite having put their trust in Him and believed in Jesus. And uh, I, I remember... Um, not so long ago, I, I rocked up to um, a friend of mine's 40th birthday and I bumped into um, a guy, an older guy who had been part of my previous church. And, uh, you know, we said, g'day. And um, uh, he, um, I said, oh, uh, are you still part of, um, you know, Unley Park where I used to be a pastor? He said, oh, no. And, and he said, oh, I, I, I don't go to church anymore. I, I can't go to church. He said, because... Um, he said, oh, and he went into a whole story about how his business, he'd had a business and a partnership in a business with someone and that person had um, taken advantage and stolen money and he was so angry with this person, he said, and he couldn't in his heart forgive that person and therefore he said he couldn't walk into church because he was a hypocrite and because he was a hypocrite, he could no longer go to church and, uh, you know, he, he, I just... And it was like, oh my goodness, 
Mate, you are forgiven. Church is a place for sinful people who come, who know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not perfect people. If I could only walk in the door, if, you could, if we could, you know, if only the perfect people could walk in the door of the church, no one could walk in the door. If only perfect people could get up to preach, I could never get up to preach. I get up to preach because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, that's how you can stand up and lead worship, even though we still wrestle with this struggle with the the flesh and we still live imperfect expressions of Christian lives, often sometimes very imperfect. But actually, we have been set free from the power of sin and death And now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we can actually come in and worship God freely and with great joy. Paul in chapter 7 wrestled with this whole question about, you know, um, uh, what I want to do, I do not do. But uh, what I hate, I do. And uh, I do not do what I... Hold on. (laughs) And I do what I do not want to do. Uh, anyway, it goes on and it tells itself in circles. <laughs> He's a confused guy and reading that passage is confusing. And uh, there's different ways of understanding that scripture. But I think we would all identify with the reality that sometimes we do what we do not want to do. And sometimes what we want to do, we do not do. And what we know we should do, we don't do. And what we, what we know we shouldn't do, we do, even though we don't want to do that. <laughs> I think I got it right that time. And, you know, but here's the deal. In spite of all of that struggle, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And, and I feel like if you've been coming week in, week out, you're hearing that week in, week out. And that's wonderful. And if you've been coming every week, I hope you kind of feel like, Oh, I feel like I've heard you talk about the fact that we've been set free from the law um, of sin and death. Uh, And that that's become a repetitive message because it needs to be repeated because it's so central and so important. Absolutely. Free in Christ Jesus. Amen. You know that uh, if we came in here and we began to put any one of your lives on the big screen. We're, we're going to play uh, all of the sinful, shameful moments of your life. We're just going to compile them together, edit them beautifully to music, and we're just going to put them up on the screen. And we're all going to kick back, and we're all just going to let's have a look at the let's have a look at the life of Mark, all his all his moments that he would rather not put on the screen, if they were going to be displayed, how would you feel if your life was put up there? No one wants to say. I think we would feel ashamed. We would feel deeply embarrassed, ashamed, condemned. Uh, But, but... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin 
and death. And so Romans has tracked this story, and John told the kind of the story and, and tracked Romans 1 to 5 for us a few weeks ago. Romans 1 to 2 says that based on your merit, how many are righteous uh, before God? The answer is no one. No one is righteous. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then Romans 3 to 6, this incredible presentation of justification uh, by faith or justification by grace through faith. Jesus deals with our sin on the cross of Calvary and then conquers death in his resurrection. And by faith, we are united with him in that death. And in that resurrection, we rise to new life. And our sin is dealt with and we are given this free gift of grace forgiveness Romans 6 goes on to say we're no longer slaves we've been set free sin should no longer be our master and the apostle Paul uh, his own personal story he's the one writing this there there's no condemnation and we talk about how we'd feel if our video was shown in scripture but Paul's story is recorded for us in the book of Acts The Apostle Paul who writes about there being no condemnation is the very man who was persecuting the church and and passionately seeking to dismantle it. And he was grabbing Christians out of what would have been like church meetings where he found that secret Christians were gathering in people's homes and he would come in with his guards and he'd probably grab mainly the men and he'd rip them away from their wives and their children and he'd drag them out and imprison them. And he was there at the stoning of Stephen when he was just uh, when he was killed by having men just pelt him with rocks until he uh, was killed. And and Paul was there giving his approval and overseeing that happening. That's his movie. This is the guy who says to us, "There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus." So if you've put your trust in Jesus. And whatever your story is, you need to be able to claim that truth because that is where, um, that is the basis for, for joy in the Christian life. It's the basis for joy. Like when I go to the football, the basis for celebration in the football game is the victory that happens when my team used to win a game because I go for the Crows. And so there used to be this experience of victory at the end of some games and and at the end of games there would be this victory because you won and and this whole message about um, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus this is the basis for our joy this is the reason why we can celebrate this is the reason why our worship should be passionate and from the heart this is the reason why I lift my hands in worship and if you're new here you maybe not experience that in, in the church you know but what is this like this is at the football this is what people do when your team wins this is what they do they punch the air you know jump up and down. This is what worship can look like because of the joy, the basis for joy in the Christian life. The foundation, foundation of our freedom is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I've just been kind of hammering this one verse because I think it's so central. Let me give you a, a, a kind of image about um, what, this, uh, what this verse is. Oh, no, I've got to do that down the track. Um, And so what I want to do is suggest that uh, the Christian life is about in your mind and in your heart, actually, it's kind of like you lock that door to the voice of condemnation. 
Because there are reasons why people feel condemned beyond simply what's happened in their lives. People feel condemned at times because through their lives they have had words of condemnation spoken over them. And people feel condemned and struggle to accept the the freedom of Christ also because Satan doesn't want you to be released from that. He wants you to feel condemned. And so he's the accuser and he's the deceiver. And so he's going to be at you saying, oh, you, you, should, you deserve condemnation. You're under condemnation. This is, you should be. And, and I'm not saying we should never ever feel ashamed because sin should lead to a level of that. But actually, uh, condemnation is a different thing. And so God has given us this wonderful scripture so we can actually have the joy of Christ and the freedom of Christ and the victory of Christ in our heart, knowing that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which is every person who's put their trust in Him. And so what I want us to do is suggest that tonight the message has got two parts. One is about locking a door and then one is about opening a door. The Christian message is about locking a door, opening a door. We lock a door to, uh, to this accusation, to this message that we are under condemnation because there's no condemnation. And then we open up a new door and we explore a new way to live the most beautiful thing, which is what this passage terms uh, life in the Spirit. Life in the Spirit. This is sort of the second part of this message. Interestingly, in Romans chapter 1 through to the end of chapter 7, the word spirit appears twice. Okay? The word spirit appears twice in seven chapters. If we look through Romans chapter 8, let's count how many times it appears in the NIV version. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son uh, in the likeness of flesh to be a sin offering. We've only got one time so far, so we'll go down. Uh, So he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Uh, The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you're in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, um, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit... Anyway, I'm going to stop there. I'm up to 10. Uh, If we keep going, uh, because it keeps going, I think we hit 17 references to the Spirit in the 18... in the 17 verses of Romans chapter 8. So isn't that interesting? Seven chapters, two references, and suddenly we have this incredible outpouring and focus on the Spirit. And what I think this, uh, what's really important to draw out of this is it's like Paul's making up for lost time here. And I think that uh, sometimes we think about the gospel as being really just about uh, Jesus and the Father, right? 
as though the gospel is, is primarily about the Jesus and the Father. But I think Paul wants to remind us here that the, the gospel, the message of the good news of Jesus is profoundly Trinitarian, which is a, a fancy way of saying it's profoundly about the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit is profoundly central to the gospel, just as Jesus is and his work on the cross, just as the Father is. The gospel is about the Father and the Son and the work of the Holy Spirit. The gospel is a the Pentecost story is as essential to the gospel story as the cross is. They're, they're, not, they're not completely separate stories. And so if I draw you a, a picture here, um, the story is a picture of like a house with squatters in it. You know how you sometimes see those houses? They've been taken over, they're really messy, they're like fairly trashed. Um, squatters have made their way in, they've boarded up some of the windows. Have you ever seen like a house like that or a picture of a house like that? Anyone? Yep. Wow, you're an incredibly responsive congregation tonight. Um, I'll take that as a yes. And so what, what happens is that's, that's us. <coughs> that's us before Christ comes, before the gospel reaches us. We were like a good house. We're like created by God, but, but actually uh, evil has come and sin has come and, and, and caused a big mess. And then what happens is Christ comes and brings forgiveness and the door gets opened. And it's not just that it's like, hey, you're forgiven, but you're left then to be just in a mess, right? What actually happens then is the door opens and the Holy Spirit enters in and the Spirit comes and the Spirit like reclaims you and it reclaims your life and your mind and your heart and all, all of you and the Spirit begins to become and do a, a work of restoration to restore this what was a beautiful house and designed good but then actually by, because of sin becoming uh, a bit messed, uh, messed up and then the Spirit comes and the Spirit does this rejuvenating work in the lives of believers. And this is really wonderful because, um, uh, particularly for those of you who are young in faith and younger than me in faith, is you actually get the joy of discovering more and more of what the Spirit, of who the Spirit is and how the Spirit works in your life. And you can actually discover the fullness of that. The Spirit enters in and, uh, and we begin to live the life of the Spirit. The Spirit does a number of amazing things. The Spirit uh, begins to actually by the fruit of the Spirit, change us so that our values and our, our character and our desires start to become changed over time so they actually become like the, the values and the character and, and the likeness of, of God. And so the fruit of the Spirit begins to uh, be, be born in us. It's like, the, it's like the Spirit breathing life and freshness and cleaning in us. And then the Spirit not only gives us fruit to change our character and our heart, it gives us gifts to actually empower us to actually serve God and, and each of us in unique ways. And then the Spirit, by being present in us, um, actually allows us to begin to hear the voice of God and actually then to know the presence of God. It's a wonderful thing. And in the Old Testament, God was perceived to be completely different uh, sorry, completely far away, and you, then you had to have priests who act as, as mediators between God and man. You'd never really perceive that you could just approach God. You'd have a priest who'd be up the front doing rituals and at the front of the temple. Uh, but actually, the New Testament, there's no priests doing rituals at the front of any church or temple anymore. 
we actually have access to the Father through the Spirit. Uh, it's actually, uh, personally, and, and I don't want to bag any particular church, but it's very interesting that the church, after a few hundred years, reinstated this idea that a priest took on the role of performing the rituals and acting as a mediator between God and man. But the New Testament picture is that we have access to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is how we're designed to be in relationship with God. So there's this wonderful intimacy that's possible. And so um, uh, if I go back to the Old Testament, when they, when they set up <coughs> the temple and they built the temple in Jerusalem and they created this, uh, this space where, where God was to dwell, the holiest of holy places, and then the, the cloud, the, the spirit, the presence of God came and actually filled that temple. And uh, that's what happens to us. That's the New Testament picture. God not coming and filling a building. God is no less here than He is present in your home, um, uh, than He is in your heart, wherever you are. And so we have in these verses then this comparison between those who live according to the sinful nature and those who live according to the Spirit. It, it states them completely in comparison. So... Um, those who live according to the sinful nature are condemned by the law. That's verses 1 to 4. But those who live according to the Spirit are set free from the law. Those who live in... Did I say... Did I, did I make a mistake then? No. Okay. No, that's right. I thought I said those who live according to the Spirit are condemned by the law. Did I say that? No. Those who live according to the sinful nature are condemned by the law. Those who live according to the Spirit are set free from the law. Those living according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those living according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Those living according to the sinful natures, their minds are de death or their minds are dead, spiritually dead. But those who are living according to the Spirit, their minds are life and peace. Those who live according to the sinful nature are, are hostile to God. Those who are living according to the Spirit um, are children of God. It's fascinating to, to, to me how much hostility there is to God in our society today. How much hostility there is to Christianity and to the church, uh, seemingly without any particular reason or logic to it. Um, like, Christians, by and large, are reasonably nice people, <laughs> reasonably loving people, um, Doing a lot of good in the society, caring for a lot of people. If you drive to Whitmore Square and look around and who's actually caring for people there, uh, the down and out people, it's actually the Christians. Um, yet there's this profound hostility towards the church that exists and has existed throughout 2,000 years. Why are Christians persecuted so much? Well, I think it's because they're worshippers of Jesus and they're followers of God and the mind, those who live according to the sinful nature are hostile to God. That's just how it is. And those who live according to the Spirit are children of God. Those who live according to the sinful nature do not and cannot submit to God, but those who live according to the Spirit know God as their Abba, Father, which is a picture of intimacy and also a picture of uh, loving submission. So in light of all of that, um, all of what it means to, to, to live according to the Spirit and all that God has done, we have an obligation. But our obligation is, uh, in verse 12, if we have a look at that, says, 
our obligation says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. <laughs> and then it gives you a little warning. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if the Spirit you, uh, you, if the spirit you put to death, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So our obligation is to live according to the Spirit. And uh, a few weeks ago, I, I shared a little bit about um, the, the struggle that, that I had, particularly um, growing up and being a new believer and, and making mistakes and, and uh, some of the, the struggles I had with, with sin. And I felt like it was appropriate for me to be honest with you guys and transparent with you guys about that. But tonight, I want to share with you honestly and transparently about the absolute joy that it's been in my life over many years to live according to the Spirit. See, as a new Christian, I began, to, um, I began to be changed. I began to see things. I began to experience things and go on a journey that has just been so wonderful. I began to meet people to start with who inspired me because they lived this faith that was alive and they worshipped God with this wonderful joy and freedom in their life that I'd never really known. And I began then to start to enter into that and begin to experience as I, I gave my life to Jesus, experience God in my life in this profoundly new way. I remember just the wonderful growth and excitement at, at learning and growing in my early years as a Christian. One of the influential books in my life, uh, a book I reckon you should get um, if you've never heard of it, is a book called No Compromise by Keith Green. Has anyone read that book? Uh, awesome book. He's an old 70s ex-hippie kind of musician. Uh, amazing guy. If you don't know Keith Green, yeah, you haven't, you know, you should. He's an awesome guy. And um, just learning to experience God and encounter God and serve God and, uh, and then entering into ministry and learning how to hear the voice of God. And God has just, uh, in my life, guided me in the most wonderful, wonderful ways. Uh, like, my path into ministry has not been a case of like, it's not a career path that anyone, you know, in their right mind chooses. You've got to be called into ministry. But for me, I remember um, when we were looking for a church, my wife and I, and we were, going, we were about to get married in a few months. We'd, we'd bought a house which we'd rented back to the, the people that sold it to us because they were building. So we knew where we were going to live. We went looking for a church. And we drove in, we'd looked at a couple of churches, and we drove into the church where Marion Church of Christ. And had this overwhelming sense of God speaking, saying, this is your new home. And, and um, I got out of the car and Mel was coming um, from her place. She got out of her car and, and I was like, oh, Mel, I've got this incredible sense that God's called us to this church. And she was like, I have ha just had the in most incredible same sense too. And, um, and then we joked, we're like, man, I hope, that, hope it's an okay church because <laughs> God's called us here. And God called us there for a reason. And then they were looking for a new pastor about 18 months later, and I was about to start full-time Bible study. I felt called to into ministry and had for a few years. And I had this incredible uh, conviction put on my heart. I should pray for them to get a really good new pastor. And um, uh, it was quite a large church, and I thought, this is a big church. They can get someone decent, um, but I'm going to really pray that they get someone really decent. And then crazily enough, they came and asked me to do that. And I was not a decent youth pastor. I had no experience at all. And anyway, 
uh, began in ministry. And when I started out in ministry, I had uh, about nine youth in my youth group. And we, used to, we had a 12-seater minibus, and the leaders and I, I remember, we used to be able to go out on excursions in our 12-seat minibus with the leaders and all the youth. And um, that's how we rolled. And it, literally in our bus. Um, and for me, the joy of living life in the Spirit was just to invest in those nine people, just to start loving them, just to start trying to sow into them. I went and bought a book about how to be a youth pastor. It was called Your First Two Years in Youth Ministry. And I just followed that book, became my instruction manual because I had no idea what to do. But I just started loving these young people and just sowing into them the message of the gospel. And we started journeying together and I got to baptize my first person. I got to lead the first person I've ever led to the Lord. I started doing camps with young people. I started giving them opportunities to serve, seeing them grow and such a joy. We saw that youth group grow from nine kids to four years later be 50 kids on a Friday night. Um, Young adults uh, like... um, boomed and and we'd have 150 young adults on a Sunday night and it was just a wonderful ministry and um, for me it's just a joy to serve the Lord and it's not a um, for me to be a pastor and to serve God and not just being a like the pastor part but just serving God in my whole life it is just a joy to live life in the spirit and to live in that freedom and joy and I got to say that I have absolutely, I can, I, can, I can tell you in all honesty that if we go right back to verse 1, um, that verse, there is now no condemnation for, for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I've got to say that at no point ever do I ever feel that I sit under the condemnation of, of God or of, of, of anyone because I've come to know that in my heart and I've come to live life in the Spirit. And so I guess I just want to spur you guys on. It's an exciting thing for you because the sadness of life in the Spirit is that some people and even some churches have come to fear the Spirit. They've come to fear the Holy Spirit and uh, perhaps want to keep the Spirit at arm's length and perhaps don't want to release themselves to whatever the Spirit wants to do in the midst of their lives or their church. And that's maybe because they've seen an expression of the Spirit that has been um, a counterfeit or, or destructive or just a bit a bit, you know, crazy. And so therefore it's like, oh, the Spirit, you know, be very careful of the Spirit. You shouldn't be careful of the Spirit. The Spirit is God. It's the person of the Holy Spirit. And so this life in the Spirit is something I would want to encourage you to enter into. I've gone off my notes. I'm going to finish with this because it's Father's Day. By this, um, uh, we finished. We have a look at verse 15. The spirit you receive does not make you slave so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship or to be children. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. So, so the journey that you guys get to go on, if, particularly those of you who are new in faith, is to discover God, the intimacy of life with God uh, through the Spirit to the point where you really know and can speak to God as, a, as an as Abba Father, which is Abba being this intimate term of a childlike faith. That you can actually go, yeah, God, you are my, you're my loving Father. And so on Father's Day, I remember what that, what that looks like for my, for my kids is that they can, you know, they can just come to me at any time and they can 
ask me for stuff and they can, they can just come and, and I'll give them a hug and I can just hang out with them and they feel very relaxed in my presence. They feel very safe in my presence. They feel very accepted in my presence. They, um, they know that I'm there for them. They know that I'm going to look out for them. They know that I'm there to protect them. And that's because I'm their father. And, uh, and God is, is, is your loving father. And so he wants you, if you don't really know him in that way as a loving father, he wants you to grow as you, as you, as you journey and, and just uh, ask the spirit to, to come into your life that he will give you uh, a deeper experience of him as you journey in life. And it will bring you great joy that is greater than anything this world has to offer. And uh, that's all I have to share for you tonight. Thank you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, um, what a joy. What a joy it is to live life in the Spirit. What a joy it is to know that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a joy it is that though you are magnificent and mighty and powerful and awesome and beyond our comprehension and um, that you are the judge of the whole world, yet you are our loving Father. And by life in the Spirit, by the Spirit, we can actually come to know you as our Father. And I just pray for every single person here who maybe feels distant from you, who doesn't really feel that that intimacy is something they know in their lives, who, who maybe still wrestles with this question, am I truly saved? Am I, am I actually truly set free from this condemnation? I pray that each one would come to know the truth of the gospel deep in their hearts and that it might bring great joy. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app. 